Welcome to Hoop Nerds with Billy Kegler, presented by the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Association. We talk to coaches, athletes, and more to learn from their stories and apply learning lessons to improve each individual and stimulate growth for your program, team, staff, and self. Follow along as we explore success and failure en route to improving the game of basketball. Coach Gresh, thanks for joining the Hoop Nerds. So I'm going to start with the toughest question I could possibly ask. As a competitor, are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Billy. And that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's a great question. For me, I think it's a little bit of the fear of losing, honestly. Um, you remember the losses a lot more than you remember the wins. So we've had some team success over the years, and I find it every year you, you have to go out there and prove yourself all over again. And really it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult to duplicate some of the success that we've had in the past. But to answer your question, it's the fear of losing that, that really keeps me going. What makes it so difficult to duplicate that success? Yeah, because every year is different. I think it's human nature. Uh, a lot of the, especially young adults, right? They see the success that they had the previous season. They just assume that it's automatically going to happen. And then because you had some success the year before, you're getting every other team's best shot the following year. So in a lot of ways, it is really, really difficult to duplicate that success. And that's something that we've strived for as a program just to, have that sustained success um, over a number of years. So the disease of more kicks in and those new or underclassmen want to have that success, but they don't necessarily know what it took to get there. So what sorts of things do you do to teach them how to be successful at the level that you expect them to be? Yeah, I think it starts from your leadership, the, the top down. A lot of the things uh, should be and hopefully are passed down from the seniors to the juniors and then to the sophomores and the freshmen. I think if you have a player-led program, it's going to be better than a, a coach-led program. And we've been really fortunate over the years that a lot of the expectations, the work ethic has been passed down from, from group to group, starting with, with those seniors. So I think it's critical that you have strong leaders in your program, and we've been fortunate. Um, like I said, a lot of the, the culture, the work ethic, the expectations have been passed down from, from year to year, from the upperclassmen to the younger guys. All right, you just hit on culture, and part of that is traditions that you pass on from year to year. So what's a tradition that you've had continually in your time that has helped contribute to your culture? Well, if you start uh, on the floor, like we want our older guys to help coach the younger guys. So a lot of the breakdown drills, especially early in the season, you're doing two on two, three on three at a basket. I'm okay stopping practice if one of the upperclassmen are gonna grab one of the freshmen, correct them, coach them up and explain to them what, what they're doing wrong. So I'm okay with that, and I think uh, that's one of the neat things, just to see that happen when, when those seniors, juniors grab those younger guys um, because they want to see them be successful, and eventually those guys are going to become our leaders as well. So I think that's one of the things when we start practice that has been passed down over the years. Do you ever have a situation where players know what to do and they're capable of doing it, but they don't know how to vocalize it, and how do you help them move into a situation where they can help others by vocalizing their abilities? 
Sure, yeah, some of those guys, uh, their delivery might not be perfect, but, but they're trying. So you encourage them, you would try to empower them to let them talk to those guys, and eventually they'll become a little bit comfortable, more comfortable in that role talking to them. Um, so some of it is what they say. A lot of it is how they say that to the younger guys. We have a junior that is, is a very good leader for us, has a lot of high expectations of himself, but also of his teammates. So um, his delivery, he's got to be careful. Sometimes he can come down on those freshmen almost a little bit too hard. So what, what he's saying is really important, but also how he says it to those guys. And then those guys, the young guys, they have to understand what's being said sometimes, not necessarily how it's being said as well. So um, it's always a work in progress. And, and they're such nice kids that they don't, sometimes they don't want to say something and hurt their teammates' feelings. And I think they have to get over uh, the point where it, it's not personal, you're just trying to make them better. Can you give an example when you talk to a player who has the wrong tone or wrong delivery and what they can do to change that to improve? Yeah, I think just explaining yourself to them, um, this is how I would perceive it. You know, I understand what you're trying to relay to that freshman, but sometimes this is how they would perceive it just because of the tone or the words that you're using. So maybe more just a little positive encouragement rather than coming down on them in a negative tone. So I think a lot of it is, like I said, the words that they use and the tone that they use with those guys. So is that a discussion you have in the gymnasium during practice, or do you try to find a different setting outside of practice to discuss that with them? Yeah, probably off the court because we wouldn't want to break up the flow in practice. Things are moving. I think one of the things we try to do is learn by doing it, right? So you explain the drills, the teaching points, things that you're learning, you're trying to teach them and things that they're trying to learn, but you also learn by doing it. So yeah, we try to explain things, slow down, teach, but also the reps are really important for those young kids, just get out there and do it. And they're gonna fail sometimes, but that's how they're, they're gonna learn. You just mentioned the flow of your practice, so I'm curious about the framework or how your practice is set up, especially early in the season now when you're trying to get a lot of work in. How do you break down between teamwork and individual work and determining when you need to cater more towards one versus the other? Yeah, so that that's great, great question, especially early in the year. I, I played for Coach Bennett at Green Bay. I'm a little bit more of a defensive guy, so we want to make sure that um, we're master learners on the defensive end. So before we start going and implementing our offense and our philosophy on that end, we really try to implement a lot of our defense first, and then eventually we're going to mix in the offense. At the same time, uh, we take a lot of pride in the skill development. So I'm thankful we, we have a great coaching staff, uh, Logan Flora, Corey Shashelshik, Mike Dashner, Brian Rorig. So we can do a lot of that individual work. So on our main court, we have six baskets. We can really do a lot of that skill work and divide up where we're covering a lot of ground, getting a lot of reps at each basket without wasting a lot of time. So um, again, for me, we get the defense in, we do a lot of skill work, and then eventually we're going to get the offense and the five-on-five in. So when you implement something, do you start with the part whole method or do you introduce it as a whole and then break it down into the parts later? Yeah, for me, and, and a lot of people do it different ways, I, I like the parts. So we'll do a lot of small-sided games, two-on-two, three-on-three, three-on-three with an extra passer. So that guy is understanding what he's looking for and what the defense is doing. 
Um, so I really enjoy the, the parts first and then build it up to the five-on-five live situation as we go along. All right. What's your favorite small-sided game? Oh, are we talking offense, defense? Um, you know, really, really um, we set a lot of screens. So we, we would just do maybe like a, a three-on-three cutthroat. So if you have five groups of three, you're going offense and defense on one basket, offense and defense on the other. The fifth team is right there. So if, if you're stressing the defense, you can keep track of points or stops on defense. If you're trying to reinforce the offense, you can reward the offense, score the baskets, twos and threes. And then that fifth team is coming on as soon as there's an open basket. Um, so that's pr- pretty simple, not rocket science. But again, you're trying to reinforce things. And then it could be any number of different screens. So if it's a, an offensive drill, you're, you're breaking down the, the down screen three on three. Or you're doing a flare screen three on three. Uh, you can do a stagger screen with the extra passer, three on three, um, back screens, ball screens. So there's a lot of different ways you can break it down. It just depends what you want to emphasize that day. So will you move that concept you're teaching in the small side of game directly into a five on five gameplay situation or will that come later? Yeah, probably later, just the, the way the flow of practice. We'll do a little bit more of the individual work, skill work, um, defensive breakdown drills. And then towards the end of practice, we get more into the, to the team stuff. You mentioned your all-star staff, and I want to use this cutthroat three-on-three as an example. So if you're emphasizing defense within that drill, do you have all of your coaches only focused on the defense, or are you assigning them separate ways? Yeah, so if we have four te- or five teams, the one team is sitting out, you can assign offense to one coach on one end and then offense to one coach on the other end, and then same with the defense. Or you assign them to that team, and I would take a team, and then you just follow them around. So really depending on what you want to get out of it, we've done it both ways. Um, For that drill, a lot of times I'll have them stay with that team. So they're getting to see what those kids are doing each time, whether they're on offense, defense, and what they need to improve on. You and I are kindred spirits in that we both love defense but we know that's not always the player's favorite part of practice. So what can you do and what do you implement to get them excited about implementing your defensive system? Yeah, I mean, we try to do some finishing skill work, uh, shooting drills. We'll also do it in more of the uh, four-on-three, five-on-four, five-on-five, some of those transition drills. So you're not just playing in a stance for the first two hours of practice. So, yeah, they they enjoy the offensive end. So I think uh, especially in today's day and age, when I think when I first started, it would be even more on the defensive end. Now you have to have a little bit more balance and reward those kids with letting them go up and down a little bit. So whether it's um, kind of our, our bucks drill would be four on three, five on four, five on five. Or we even started a little bit slower, two-on-one to three-on-two to four-on-three. And then if you're working on their conditioning, you can add on to the four-on-three to actually include five-on-four and then finish up five-on-five. So talking about their conditioning, when we talk about full-court drills and transition drills, as you go throughout the season, are you increasing the amount of time you spend on that or decreasing the amount of time you spend where they have more time on their legs from a conditioning perspective? I think more more five-on-five in the full court as the season goes along. Very early in the practice, it's a little more teaching, a little bit more slower, a little bit more half-court breakdown. 
and then eventually you're going to play games. So um, the game is five on five. The game is up and down live. So we don't want to be just a drill team. So eventually you're going to have to go up and down in the five on five. So as the season goes along a little bit more, um, practices get shorter in the harder season, you're doing more of the five on five stuff just to, to stay sharp and keep your conditioning that you have. All right, my favorite thing to do is to go to practice the day before a game so I can check out the preparation for game day and what they're going to be implementing during that game. So can you walk us through what the day before a game looks like before you say play Wisconsin Lutheran College? Yeah, so um, we, we get them going, we'll stretch them out. Um, I, I think young kids don't realize how important stretching and taking care of their body is. The upperclassmen who have some miles on their leg, they understand, all right, before practice I need to stretch, after I need to stretch, I might jump in the ice tub or cup. Um, our young guys think their bodies are gonna last forever, but we do try to stretch out for about 10 minutes. We'll do some type of skill work, you know, whether it's forwards on one end, guards on the other. Um, a lot of the game now, as you know, has become interchangeable parts. So it might be guards and forwards intertwined, working on their skills. And within that skill work, you're trying to incorporate multiple things. Yeah, you're shooting the basketball, but you're also handling it, passing it. So trying to include multiple things in the skill development, that first segment. Um, and then we'll get into some of our defensive breakdown drills. So based on our scouting report, things that we want to take away, actions we want to take away. And we've done it more, more out of the four-on-four, four, not necessarily have a scout team run our entire opponent's offense, but more here's the action and the four-on-four. Four. This is the key things they're looking for. This is how we're going to defend it. And then the last part of practice, um, some more skill work, but really working on ourselves offensively and defensively. So are you concerned with the opponent's sets or concepts? And also, are you concerned with their play calls? Yeah, definitely more concept base. Um, if there's one thing they run over and over again, we might try to figure out what the call is. But it's more the concepts. I, I think the game happens so fast. So to be thinking through all that stuff as a defender it is really hard. For me, defense comes down to effort and anticipation. So if you can do those things and not be thinking about, all right, they're running this play and this is what's going to happen, the better off our defense will be. And plus, there, there are so many good coaches at Division One, Two, and Three level. Everybody's got some counters, right? So you scout them out. You're expecting one thing, and all of a sudden that shooter is coming off the backside instead of running the play that you had scouted out. Um, I think it's better for us, at least, to do the concepts. Let's talk about ball screens. And with the influx of offenses running ball screens from various locations on the court, have you kept with what you've always run from a ball screen defense, or have you adjusted? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I think at one point in, in my coaching career, every day we would work on guarding the ball somehow, whether it's a zigzag drill, a closeout drill, a driving line drill. So guarding the ball every day, we, we've done that. We, we do a transition defense drill every day, so we're not giving up any easy baskets or layups. At one point in my career, we were doing a defensive rebounding drill every day, but I think the game has gotten to be so physical that I don't wanna see two teams just run into each other for five or 10 minutes, have somebody get hurt or have a back injury. So we've gone away from some of the, the box out drills and more reinforcing that in the five on five situations. 
But the ball screen defense now, like you said, has become so prevalent in the game going over that. And we, we have adapted over the years where I used to be strictly a hard hedge, big show guy defensively. We've done some things to, to ice them on the side, a little bit of drop coverage. And then we've had some mobile foremen that can guard out on the perimeter. So we've actually switched some things in recent years. So that's something that's hit, has adapted and changed over the years. And I'm pretty, pretty stubborn, Billy. Like I haven't changed a whole lot on either end, but the ball screen defense, because it's become so prevalent, we found we had to adapt. What did Coach Bennett do when you said you were switching ball screen defenses? <laughs> he, did, he didn't believe me. <laughs> or he said, why would you do that? And actually, he, he, he has come uh, and told Tony, because Tony now at Virginia is pack line. I think for a number of years, he's told Tony to even change and consider going back to the, the pushing the basketball to the baseline. And I think Tony has tried it in different different times of the season last year, but he's been so good on the defensive end. I told you, you'd be crazy to change what you're doing. It's working so well. But I think even, even Coach Bennett has adapted or th tried to get Tony to adapt over the years a little bit. All right, two questions to get you out of here with, and they're from left field a little bit. So if you have a prospective student athlete sitting in front of you and you could only ask them one question and one question only, what question would that be to get to know them? Boy, that <laughs> um, really, I think that the biggest non-negotiable for me is, do you love the game, right? And especially in Division Three, there's so many restrictions on how we, how much we can work with the kids. Now that's changing a little bit. We get eight days now, either before October 15th or after, or you can split them up. So there's there's a little bit less restriction, but even with the extra practice time, I would. I would ask them, are, are you passionate about the game? Because if they are, they're going to put the time into the spring and the summer and the fall to get their games better. And they might end up passing somebody that has more talent than them. So I, I think passion at this level is, is, is the biggest thing. So they're all going to say yes to that. <laughs> yeah, but how can you differentiate one answer from another to figure out who truly has that passion? Well, um, yeah, you, you ask them follow-up questions. Are, are they working out now at the high school level? Are they playing a fall sport and working out on top of that? Do they like to get up in the morning? So you, it's never perfect in recruiting, as you know, but you just try to find out enough of those things that you can ahead of time and then just use your, your best judgment. Okay, non-basketball-related question time, and I need you to use your imagination a bit. So if you're standing in front of a refrigerator and you look inside of it, what one item inside of that refrigerator best identifies with who you are as a person and why? Uh, are we talking freezers and refrigerator? Because I'm going to grab the ice cream. Like if, if I could get some good custard in front of me and uh, watch a good basketball game, uh, the Big Ten Network or ESPN late at night, um, that's me. Get me a bowl, bowl of ice cream in front of the big screen watching some basketball. You said custard, so is Culver's a sponsor of your basketball program? <laughs> no, no, Culver's is up there. Uh, Gillies, I'm from Wauwatosa, so Gillies on, on Blue Mound is, is hard to pass up. Um, and then uh, Handles uh, in Youngstown, my wife is from Youngstown, great, great ice cream uh, in Youngstown. This just became a travel food podcast, just like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your time and best of luck this season. Thanks for having me on, Billy.